The past two weeks of storytelling from the book of Acts has been weird (laughs) and fun and ordinary and strange, and we see that history happily repeats itself. Uh, Last week, we read that Paul got his haircut in Sentry. Ryan sometimes gets his haircut in Edmonton. Or maybe history sadly repeating itself. Paul continually getting harassed because he's talking about this Jesus who's blowing the doors off of the church, pronouncing freedom, and yet all these rule-keeping religious people keep on saying to him, you are a troublemaker, we're going to chase you out of town. That repeats itself too. We Christians try to proclaim Jesus amongst religious rule keepers, and all kinds of problems spill out of that. In today's story, maybe you'll think of other ways history has repeated itself, for better or for worse, or maybe these stories make you laugh, or maybe they make you cry, or maybe they bring back actually traumatic feelings for you. For me, there's some comedy in the story, especially around the seven sons of Siva. I've laughed about this story for decades, the seven sons of Siva. Uh, When I was a young adult in Lethbridge, croning around with some Pentecostal Christians, and we we weren't reading the Bible anymore, really, because we were reading This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Do I have any 1987, 1988 Christians? This present darkness, Frank Peretti. And so we were convinced that there were flying demons hovering over the streets of Lethbridge, Alberta, and we were the ones who needed to pray them back. And so that's what we'd do on Saturday nights. We'd huddle together in prayer meetings. We'd drive around the city and parks, um, neighborhoods. We'd go into private parking lots of religious institutions in Lethbridge, and we would pray. But we would be mindful of the seven sons of Siva story and always use that to hem us in. We'd say things like, all right, we're going to pray, but let's not be like the seven sons of Siva. Let's make sure we're praying the spirit of Jesus correctly so that we're not naked and wounded running through the streets of Lethbridge. So we'd laugh, and we'd laugh, and we'd laugh, but then we'd pray, we'd pray. Lord, we don't want to be like the seven sons of Siva, but we need to pray. <sighs> so we can sometimes laugh and marvel at these unusual ministries or maybe Christian enterprises that have been born out of some of the stories that we even read this morning. But my hope for us as I hope, thinking Christ-devoted Christians, that we might follow a better way. And so what's the goodness? What's the wisdom and the care and even the word that Don was using with the children today? What's the nurture that might inform our imaginations this day? If you've been around our church culture for weeks or months or years, you've probably learned a bit of the vibe of our church culture on any given Sunday morning. We are not a second baptism kind of church. 
We're just not. People don't get baptized a second time here. Um, we're not a speak-in-tongues kind of church either. Nothing against the heavenly language and praying in tongues, but at least in my experience here for the past 14 years, we do not practice tongues in public worship. Do I need to be corrected on that? Are there some long-timers here like, I remember in 1984 when so-and-so got up and... So as far as I know, we're not a tongue-speaking church. We can talk more about that later at the door if you have a special revelation about that. Uh, We're not a handkerchief and aprons kind of church, are we? We don't give out embroidered handkerchiefs for every $1,500 donation at First Baptist Church. Though, hmm. Um, We're not a burn-your-books type of church either. Though, again, over the past several years, I've heard some very intriguing stories from some of you of how you did burn your box of LPs or your box of cassette tapes or your box of CDs because you wanted to prove your wholehearted devotion to Jesus. And then I also get the lament of your stories when you say, if I still had that LP or that cassette tape, I would be a rich man. So if we're not those types of churches, then what kind of church are we? And what might the Spirit be teaching to the church, to us, in this day and moment in time? How might our hopes and our imaginations be healthily filled by these stories of the early church? One thing we can resonate with this church in Ephesus is that it's a big city, a big city church. It's a small church, but it's in a big city. Ephesus is this rich city, this hustle-bustle city, uh, lots of culture, lots of class, lots of corruption, sport, power. And here's this missionary church that starts with probably just a dozen people. And yet they're making this impact in the big city. And Paul comes alongside this church, this fledgling Christian community, and he guides them into receiving the Holy Spirit. And then Paul spends another two to three years teaching and preaching and arguing and baptizing and uh, proclaiming. And in the final sentence of today's story, we read, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's it. The word of the Lord growing mightily and prevailing. That's the kind of church we ought to aspire to be. The word of the Lord, growing mightily, prevailing. But what does that look like? What does it feel like? How does that church behave? We often talk here at First Baptist about an embodied faith. What does an embodied faith look like where the word of the Lord is growing and prevailing? And so I'd like to suggest that we go back to the beginning of today's story to get some insights in that, especially around three characters, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. And what kind of church goodness and spiritual practices can we build out of these three characters? Apollos is a smart, well-educated man from Alexandria that's a port city on the northern coast of Egypt. 
And then we learned about Priscilla and Aquila last week, these two migrant workers who were forced out of Rome, and they end up in Ephesus. Apollos, this Jesus follower who's well-versed in the scriptures, he's instructed in the way of the Lord. We read that he has a burning enthusiasm and a gift for teaching. But his one shortcoming is that he's learned the more, shall we say, John the Baptist version of Jesus. It's this fiery, repentance, wagging finger, judgy uh, Jesus story versus a more Jesus-y version of the Jesus story. More about love, forgiveness, community, relationship. And so these two immigrant workers take in this visiting scholar and together they learn. And it's interesting that the migrant workers are the ones who explain the way of God to Apollos more accurately. It's a lovely picture, isn't it? For so many reasons, it's mentorship, it's humility, it's strengthening and nurture. And so I'd like us to hold on to those four words as we continue to reflect on what it may be for us to embody faith in the light of today's stories. When the word of the Lord is growing mightily, when the word of the Lord is prevailing in the midst of a community of Jesus followers, this is what happens. Mentorship, humility, strengthening, and nurture. I'm suspicious of churches who really say that they honor the word of the Lord, and yet we don't see any kind of mentorship or humility or strengthening or nurture happening in their midst. And one of the most embarrassing critiques from the outside world looking at the church in North America these days is that there are too many churches where people who are following Jesus are not becoming loving human beings, building loving societies. All these Christians all these churches, and yet a stinging critique is these people who love Jesus aren't becoming loving human beings, building a loving society. And if you've been with us at the pre-church Brian McLaren sessions over the past few weeks, uh, I've adapted that critique from one of uh, his paragraphs. He calls it LTS, Lack of Transformation Syndrome. And uh, I think we Christians are, are guilty of that. We say we're becoming like Jesus. We want to put the life of Jesus on display, and yet we're not becoming more loving human beings. So let's take some cues from Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila today. Instead of LTS, you know how I like my acronyms, let's be APA. Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila kind of Christians. And not that, again, like I've said over the past few weeks, I'm not trying to make us do more or work harder or feel guilty or shameful and try to earn brownie points with Jesus, but there's something really lovely that we learn from this relationship of these three characters. And again, it's mentorship, it's humility, it's strengthening, and it's nurture. 
When you think of your life in this place, in this community of faith, amongst these people, or wherever you might be uh, journeying with us today, maybe you're live streaming and you've got a faith community that you journey with, or maybe you're watching this from another city or another town and you have your people that you journey with. How is the Spirit speaking and nudging and pushing? Or maybe the Spirit is simply saying, hurrah, you're doing it. Keep on walking in this way. Keep on walking in the way of mentorship and being surprised by those who mentor you. And that's a way of humility. Keep on walking humbly, listening and learning from maybe very surprising places and very surprising voices. The way of strengthening. What does it look like and feel like to strengthen the saints or be strengthened by the saints? And that word nurture. How might we continue to bring to life nurture in this community of faith? Dawn and the children helped us kind of get our uh, brains going on that this morning. Nurturing might be protecting, caring, standing up for, helping others to grow. I want you to pause, and maybe there is a person or a group of people that you want to simply give thanks for. And maybe that's going to inspire you to put another leave on the gratitude tree today. Who are those people that you're with in these days, the mentoring voices, the strengthening voices, those who companion, who care, who love you, who walk with you? Let's give thanks for those people who mentor, who nurture, who strengthen us. Priscilla and Aquila helped Apollos. And if you read more about Apollos, you learn that he becomes this amazing Christian leader who leaves an indelible mark on the life of the early church. All because these two immigrant workers took in this Rhodes Scholar and showed him more accurately the way of Jesus. Paul the Apostle would continue to speak of Apollos in future letters. But it wasn't all about Apollos. Paul was always careful to point to the protagonist of the story, the deep source of their love, and the wise orchestrator of all their successes. When Paul writes a few years later to the church in Corinth, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. Might we pray, Spirit of God, keep on growing us up as we mentor, as we stay humble within this place, as we strengthen and nurture your church. Amen.